We're Anthem Church. Thanks for checking out our podcast. For all the info you need, visit anthemforall.org and follow at Anthem Church Chicago. It's great to be here with you guys today. <clears throat> I actually just came back from the North American Equip that uh, our partnering churches are a part of this year, uh, just this past week, and with several people from, from this church. And it was this incredible time of seeing people from all over the world come together to see what God is doing all across the world. Um, many of you know that, that our church partners with a network of churches all across the world that worked into, into over 100 countries. And to hear the stories of people meeting under a tree because they don't have a church building and under intense persecution and just for the, the glory of worshiping God and, and this incredible joy that they have because of Christ. And it, it spurred me with faith for all that we have um, and that helped me. I had to repent because I was kind of hanging my head about not having air conditioning and not having parking. And Sheetal knows how much I whine about that. But, uh, but I realized all the things we do have, which is, which is great. Unfortunately, the one thing I did get from the trip was I got, I, I got man flu. I unfortunately caught, caught the man flu, the dreaded man flu. And I can see gasps from all the guys here. No, no, he has man flu. Oh, no. Now, women, if you don't know what man flu is, it's... I'll translate it for you, it's, it's the sniffles. And, but in, in guys, for whatever reason, it, it, it's so much more intense and so much more severe. And it's debilitating and it racks you with, with paralysis and, and, and chills and fevers and all of those kinds of things. And you just have to go under a blanket and, and you, you have to ask you know, other people, you have to depend on the kindness of your family to, to bring you food and, and soup and things of that nature. So it's it's incredibly humbling experience. Now, we haven't quite figured out what man flu is and why it affects men differently. So, so Hope, I'm looking to you in your medical career. If you can figure that out, you know, that's a Nobel Prize waiting to happen, okay? So I'm, I'm counting on you, buddy. No pressure. So bear with me if I sound a little congested. <laughs> now, today we are going to be talking, we're wrapping up our three-part series on, on kingdom finances. And thank you for not running for the exits. I know. I know. Now, we intentionally had this, this teaching series after our building fund. We're not here to try to manipulate anybody, okay? And this is actually happening after an incredible show of generosity by you, the church. We had to raise $450,000 in seven weeks. And I can tell you, we were sweating it out. <laughs> we heard God say that he had a building for us. We couldn't understand how that was going to happen. It didn't make sense to us how this could possibly happen, and yet there was this overwhelming overflow of generosity that happened, and we actually exceeded our goal in those seven weeks, which just blew us away. But we know that, that God provides all things. Now, this talk may start with finances, but it by no means is just limited to finances. You see, God gives us all things, way more than just our finances. Now, we're going to talk about our finances because that's something that's in our lives on a day-to-day basis. It's something that has a lot of stickiness and can, can get a lot of our attention. But I want to focus on the bigness of God here. You see, in Romans 11.36, we hear, see in Scripture that for, for from him and through him and to him are all things. What does that mean? From him and through him and to him are all things. See, all that we have comes from God the Father, and we have access to all of those things through Christ in us, the hope of glory. And all of that can go back to him through the Holy Spirit. 
Now that's an expanding view of God. That's expanding view of all that we have. The, the word that Sheetal brought earlier today about how we have this incredible treasure in jars of clay. And we all have access to that through our, our knowledge and our love for Jesus Christ. All things for us. But James 4, 2 through 3 says that you do not have because you do not ask. And when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives. That you may spend what you get on your passions or pleasures. And what we find is that there are things that can trip us up, that from receiving all freely, receiving all of those things, to then giving freely all of those things, there are things that have some stickiness that kind of can block that flow of things. Now, when we, when we look at what those things are, Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 to 4, talks about these three loves that people have. And he says these three loves in the end times will be things that can kind of lead us astray and distract us and and, and block some of that path. And I'm just going to read this for us. It says, people in those days, will, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And those three things, lovers of themselves, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, are things that, that I struggle with and I think are common to all of us. You see, these are things that the enemy uses to try to distract us, to lead us away. You see, there are two kingdoms. Now, we may talk about God's kingdom, the heavenly kingdom. That's the kingdom that really matters. But there's another kingdom vying for our attention, vying for our affections, vying for our heart. And we have to be aware of that so that we can freely receive and then freely give. We're going to talk about that and then we're going to talk about something else that prevents us from freely receiving, which is fear. So the first thing is lovers of money. But I'm not going to focus on the negative, which is lovers of money. I'm going to focus on the positive, which is being open-handed. Steve, a couple weeks ago, talked about Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, Bill Gates, the most generous man that we know of in the, in the world. But it got me thinking about how Bill Gates is actually not even top 10 in terms of biblical generosity. That actually in biblical generosity, he, he doesn't even make the list. Because he gives of his, of his wealth, and it doesn't really affect his lifestyle. Rockefeller, who is known as, who is richer than both of them, who is the first or second richest person of the last several hundred years, in today's dollars would be worth about $330 billion, was asked several times as he was accumulating billions and billions more, so, like, when will it be enough? And his answer was always, just a little bit more. You see, the love, the love of money leads us down a path. Of just a little bit more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more, because it's never enough. It actually never can be enough. We were made for so much more than just money. And if we try to fill our hearts with just money, it'll never be enough. Now, I saw that firsthand in, in that I'm a physician and I've seen, I've taken care of millionaires and billionaires. And I took care of a billionaire who was worth multiple billions of dollars. And if I said his name, you would know who I'm talking about, so I won't say his name. But I saw him after a stroke in a, in a hospital bed. And in that moment, he couldn't speak, he couldn't write, he couldn't communicate with us. And so we're struggling to figure out what can we do, how can, how can we help this guy? And he just had this look of like deep regret over his face, and he would just stare out the window. And I would try to call his family and friends, and I couldn't get a hold of anybody. 
And then one day I saw someone who looked like his son. I was like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. So what are we going to do about your dad? And we got to talk about this and what can we do? And he's like, oh, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not his son. I was like, well, who are you? He's like, I'm a, I'm a ward of the estate or an executor of the estate. And I was like, I, I don't understand. And he said, you see, the family has put me in charge of his affairs so that, um, that I can take care of that. And I was like, why would they do that? He's like, you know, to be honest, they're just waiting for him to die so they can carve up his estate. And all of a sudden, that look of deep regret that he had over his face made sense to me. You see, he had spent his whole life chasing after a love of money. And all it got him was to become an old man, filled with regret, waiting to die. I don't want to be that man. I don't want to be someone who spends all of my gifts, my purposes, my time, my treasure, chasing something that's never going to get me anywhere. You see, there's so much more for us. And so our response is to be open-handed. And that's what we see in the Bible. You see in Genesis 14, Steve a couple weeks talked about Abraham and his interaction with Melchizedek. He was given so much, and then Melchizedek, the high priest and king of Salem, blessed him. And he unprompted gave Melchizedek 10% of all he had for the glory of God. But then right after that, in Genesis 14, the king of Sodom, who had just lost everything, right? And, and Abraham, after defeating the, the five armies, had all of the king of Sodom's wealth. The king of Sodom comes to him, hat in hand, tail between his legs, and says, keep all the, the, the material goods, but please just give me back my people. Because what is a king without a people? And Abraham said, I've lifted my hand to the Lord. Open hands to the Lord. And he said, I surely don't want your things. Here, take them all. Take, every, take your people and all of your possessions. I don't want people to say that I became wealthy because of you. I want people to say I became wealthy because of God. The very next chapter in Genesis 15, God spoke to Abraham in a dream and a vision. And he showed him all the stars in the heaven. And he said, these will be your descendants. He didn't even have a son yet. And he said, he expanded his horizons to so much more than money, so much more than possessions, but the kingdom and generations before him. He said, you have been faithful with a little, and here I will give you so much more. You see, God wants us to receive so much more, but when we hold on to the little, it undermines the trust that, that he has in us. Because if he gave us so much more, what would it do to us? We see that in Genesis 26 that that had a tremendous impact on his yet unborn son, Isaac. In Genesis 26, Isaac was in a, a time of incredible famine. And if Abraham had just focused on his inheritance to Isaac and had just given him a bunch of cattle, those cattle would have died in the famine. But instead, Abraham focused on his legacy. And that legacy was through God. So Isaac, in this time of incredible famine, living in the, in the land of the Philistines under King Abimelech. He was going to run and flee to Egypt, and he said, Egypt is the most powerful country on earth. Let me go there. Maybe I can survive. And God said, no, stay. Stay exactly where you are. And plant here in the time of famine. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine Isaac? It's a drought. And you want me to plant a field during a drought? Can you imagine what the Philistines must have thought? Here's this guy... He's planting his field in a drought. Doesn't he know all those seeds are just going to die? But the Bible says that that same year, all of those seeds planted grew a hundredfold. And then he dug a well, 
and he found water. And the Philistine says, well, we, we're looking for water. So they came and they took his well from him. Now, Isaac didn't fight them. He didn't say, no, God gave me this. I'm going to take this. I'm going to fight. And I'm willing to die over this well. He just moved on. He was open-handed. He just moved on to the next place. And then he, they dug another well, and God provided him water in that new place. And then the Philistines came, and they said, no, 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 we want this well. And he was open-handed. He said, take it. Because he knew his provisions didn't come from that well. It came from the God of heaven and earth. And he moved to a third place. And they dug, and what did they find? Water, right? Because God was his provision, and they found water. And this time the Philistines didn't take it. And he says, surely this is the land that you've given me. And the Bible says he became exceedingly wealthy. He didn't become wealthy because of his strategy or his tactics or his investment prowess. He was doing everything all wrong by worldly wisdom. He became wealthy because of God was freely giving him, because he was open-handed like his father. Now, you may say that, you know, you're not as wealthy as Abraham or Isaac, and you would do the same in that situation. Well, we see that it's not based on your social standing or economic standing. In the New Testament, in Luke 21, there was a widow who was giving an offering in the temple. And Jesus was sitting there and watching everybody as they gave. And there were many people, like Bill Gates, who were going up and giving of their, their, their wealth and were putting large sums of money there. And Jesus was not impressed. But then there was one widow who came, climbed up all the way. And as, as we know from the Bible, that he, they were living in a very patriarchal time, that a widow was incredibly vulnerable. See, in order to support your family, you, you needed a man in those times to be able to earn and to, to support your family. And widows were incredibly vulnerable, unfortunately. And all she had were two mites. And in today's money, it was about six minutes of labor, so it would be about a dollar. And she climbed up, and she took that dollar, all that she had to live on, and she put it in the offering. And Jesus saw that. And Jesus said, look at that woman's generosity. She gave out of her poverty. She gave all she had. And she was able to please the, the king of heaven and earth, the king for whose kingdom we serve, with that one dollar. That meant more than than millions that other people were giving. And God provided all that she needed. So practically, one way that we can be open-handed is the biblical principle of tithing. You see, Abraham started that tithing with Melchizedek, but we don't hear about how Melchizedek was so blessed by that 10% that he received from Abraham. We hear about how Abraham was blessed in the giving of that 10%. See, tithing is for us that we are blessed in the giving freely. It prevents us from holding on to things, of having sticky fingers, of how getting blocked by that, that circle of, of receiving freely and the giving freely. Tithing helps us to be free. And I've seen this personally. I thankfully have been, been able to be tithing since, since about college or so, but there have been times where I've really struggled with tithing. There have been times where I've been so focused on our family's budgets and finances, which, which are good to budget and things of that nature, but I'd be so focused on that that I would struggle through tithing. I was like, ah, oh, you know, we could really save more if I just, just took this 10% back and invested that money. And there were times where I'd wrestle with that. And, and about six years ago, I was struggling with one of those times. And Sheetal can tell you I would spend hours a night looking at, like, where should we put our money and where's the best place and, and what should I do? And Sheetal was like, why are you stressing out about this so much? 
And I was like, oh, I just want to be faithful. I just want to be a good steward. And, but I, it was really more about seeking after money for me. And the way I knew that was because I was wrestling with tithing. I was like, ah, oh, I, should, I should take that back. And then at night while I was sleeping, I had this dream. And I was standing or sitting before this old man. And I was, I was wrestling with it. I was like, you know, I, I want to do this and I want to do that and I can save more and I should just save more. And the old man just said, looked at me like very gently and said, if you want more, just ask. And I was like, no, no, I can, I can do this and maybe if I budget here and I cut this out and I, I, can, I can do a little bit better. And again, the old man with a smile just said, if you want more, just ask. And a third time, I was like, no, I can do this, I can do that. And, and he again said, if you want more, just ask. And then I woke up. And this time, I, I didn't really pay much attention to my dream, so I kind of shook it off and went back to looking at finances and <laughs> budgeting. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go twice as hard, you know, because I, I probably had a bad taco or something like that. And, and that's, that's why I had that dream. So six months later, I kept going, charging ahead. And all that time, all those hours of charging ahead didn't get me anywhere. I did not do well in any of those investments. <laughs> She looked at, she was like, what, what am I doing trusting my husband with our finances? <laughs> she didn't say that. She may have thought it, though. So then six months later, I had the exact same dream. The exact same dream in front of this old man saying, if you want more, just ask. And three times, again, he said the same thing. This time I woke up, and I got down on my face, and I repented for holding on to a love of money. I repented for thinking that my salvation or the, the benefit, the wealth of our family would be based on what I did with my finances. Now, budgeting is important, but if we, if we keep our eyes so small on a, such a small goal, we lose sight on the bigness and abundance and vastness of God. You see, I was literally stepping over dollars or hundreds of dollars to pick up pennies. It was that foolish. And so then I said, yes, Lord, I do ask for more. I ask because I know that I want to sow into your kingdom. I want to do more. Shortly thereafter, I was promoted at, at work. I didn't ask for a promotion. I wasn't expecting it. My CEO just came to me and said, hey, Matt, we would really love you to do this new thing. And I fought him on it. I was like, I don't know. It sounds new. What is I don't know. Is this going to work? And he was like, yes, it is a new thing because I told you it was a new thing. But it's going to be great. I'm telling you, it's going to be great. And, and God blessed me and the salary increased. And, and then in like... Things were just happening, like no investments that I had, but money was just coming to me, and then I could be, freely give that because I knew where that came from. I knew that I didn't come up with that. It wasn't me. This is, as Abraham said, it didn't come from the king of Sodom, which I guess in this metaphor would be me. It came from, it came from God. It came from, I, I never want to be the king of Sodom, but it came from God, and I could freely give and be open-handed and generous with it. A few weeks ago, I was talking to someone in our church, and that person was really struggling with, with finances and a lot of other things. And I had a chance of praying with that person and trusting for breakthrough. And as we were walking back up the aisle together, that person asked, so where can I give to the church? I want to give an offering. And I was like, oh, no, you know, you don't, you know, I, I didn't want to be someone to put something on anyone else. I wasn't trying to burden that person. So I said, oh, you know, you don't, be free. You know, you don't have to, to give an offering or anything of that nature. And that person looked at me like with a surprised look and said, this is my church. I want to give. I wanna, I'm not giving to you. I want to give to the storehouses of God. And I was like, oh, right, right. That's right. That's right. That's right. I was not testing you. I was not testing you. 
But it, it really, like, it really kind of convicted me. I felt the same way as after that dream six years ago. I was like, wow, you know, my, my perspective was so on these small earthly things, but I saw this generosity of someone really struggling who wanted to give even of their, their struggles. And it opened my mind to the bigness of God, the hope of God. See, the second positive is to approach God with humility and meekness instead of a lo- being a lover of yourself. We see that in Moses. In Exodus 2, Moses, the second, to be the second in command of the strongest empire in the world at that time, was overcome with wine to free his people. And he said, surely, I'm going to be the second in command. I can do this of my own strength. And where did that get him? He ended up killing an Egyptian soldier, hiding it, and then running for his life. Because as Pharaoh heard about it, he was, the sentence for that was going to be death. He went from being such a favored position and trying to do it on himself, because he thought that he could do it in his own strength, to running for his life. He then went to Midian, and for 40 years was a shepherd in Midian. And in that time, the Bible tells us in Numbers 12, verse 3, that he became the meekest man in all the earth. You may ask, why did it take 40 years for him to become the meekest man in all the earth? It's because Moses didn't let God do it in 39 years. It took those 40 years for Moses to, to let go of all of himself and finally realize that, oh, it was only God. And then Moses wasn't asking for God to give him this incredible call on his life, but then he saw the burning bush. See, God considered Moses. God saw that humility. He saw that meekness. He saw how he was submitted to him and would do whatever God said, and he could trust him. Then Moses became the most anointed person in all of the Old Testament, second only to Jesus when the coming of Jesus. He moved in signs and wonders and miracles and all sorts of things more than anyone else in all the Old Testament, the meekest man in all the earth. In Exodus 33, it says that Moses, unlike the prophets who would hear from God in dreams and visions, Moses spoke to God face to face. The only person, the Bible says, did that other than Jesus. See, when we give, a practical way of giving is to give without control. I struggle with this. Sometimes when I give, I want the the most return on my investment. (laughs) As if I'm investing something. I'm just being vulnerable here, guys, because that's, this is just, I'm just being real. Is that I think, what if I invest here in the kingdom? Then how many people will be saved through that? What if I invest there? How many people won't go hungry in the, if, I, if I invest here? Or what if I invest there? Then maybe I can do this, and then I have even more treasures in heaven. Isn't it God who gives the treasures in heaven? <laughs> but yet, this is something I struggle with. It's so easy to give to church or anywhere and saying, I want my money to be given here or there. You know, a, a vulnerable way that this happened was, is, is my giving to homeless people. Is when I give to the homeless, I would really struggle with this because I would look at them and I would try to discern, gosh, are they addicted to drugs? Are they alcoholics? Is my money going to be used for that or this? And I would be judging them. And I would try to determine, hmm, are they worth my few dollars or not? Am I going to be helping or not? Now, this is not prescriptive for you. I'm just saying what God spoke to me. And one day, my five-year-old, who was in the back seat, said, Daddy, what are you doing? That, money need, that, that man needs money. Give him money. And I, like, got startled, and I reached in my pocket, got some money, and just gave it to him. And, like, muttered, like, stumble out, God bless you, or something to the guy. 
And I was like, and my daughter was like, Dad, what are you doing? Why'd you take so long? Just give him the money. And like, in that moment, God spoke to me through the mouth of babes. He's like, what are you doing? You're, you're spending all this time for a few dollars trying to like judge that guy? What if I judged you? Haven't I freely given you? Why are you now struggling to freely give? And after that, I realized that, that when I give, that it's not the few dollars that I'm really blessing them with. It's looking them in their eyes and saying, in the name of Jesus, be blessed. What if they're receiving so much more than a few dollars just in that encounter? What if that's exactly what they need to hear? In fact, this morning, I was racing off to church, and the guy was all the way on the other side. And Naraya again said, Dad, you did not give that guy money. After church, I want you to go find him and give him some money. And I said, yes, dear, I will. <laughs> you see, we need to be looking for reasons to be generous instead of not be get generous. We need to look for reasons why we can give freely. Because the final lover, or love is lovers of pleasure. And the way to oppose that, the positive way to oppose that, is with generosity, even with sacrifice. Mother Teresa said, we give but little when we give of our money, but we truly give when we give of our hearts. She implored us to give even out of our poverty. Give until it hurts. And there's something about that that unravels a love of pleasure. In our country, it's so easy to get caught up in a love of pleasure. Do you know that in this country, if you make $32,000 a year or more, you're in the top 1% of wealth in the whole world? You're a top one percenter. But we can so easily look, lose perspective of that. We can look at you know, the Joneses and the Smiths and, and say, gosh, but they have this and they have that and what about this? And we're surrounded, we're sitting in this ivory tower saying, oh, when I've made my first billion, that's when I'll be generous. In the world's perspective, we're already all billionaires. But let's give until it hurts. I was thinking about the, the parable of the five loaves and the two fishes. And that's a parable, it's the only parable, the only miracle actually that's in all four gospels, other than the resurrection of Jesus. But in one gospel, it really arrested my heart, in John 6. And in John 6, it tells us where those five loaves and two fish came from. It came from a little boy. So here are 15,000 people, right? 5,000 men and you know, 10,000 women and children. And of all those 15,000, there was one boy. And I just imagine his, his mom and dad saying, okay, we're going to give you five loaves, barley loaves, and two fish. And you're going to have enough to go see Jesus and to come back. And this way, your tummy won't be grumbling. You won't be hungry. You know, you're going to be well-fed, my boy. And he went there, and he saw 15,000 people who are hungry. And he came to Andrew, the disciple, and he said, sir, I don't have much, but I have five loaves and two, two fish to offer. You see, he was willing to go hungry just so others can be fed. He may not have even understood how five loaves and two fish could feed 15,000 people, but he was willing to offer it. And Andrew took that faithfully and offered it to Jesus. Jesus gave thanks for that. Thanks for the offering of the little boy. And it multiplied to many people. See, the early church had that same view of generosity. In Acts 4, it said that 
from time to time, the landowners, people who owned property or land, would sell what they had and, and lay it at the apostles' feet. And Barnabas was one of those people who just laid it at his feet. Didn't say, now give it for this or give it there or do this, but just laid it there at the apostles' feet. We see that in the Macedonian church, that even of their extreme poverty in 2 Corinthians 8, gave because of the, the vision of the kingdom of God. Said, we're poor, we're struggling here, but we're going to give and we're going to give faithfully to the kingdom. You know, as a church, we, we had a building fund and during that building fund, it would have been easy to stop giving to the nations. It would have e been easy to stop giving generously. To say, well, you know, for a season, why don't we shut all of that down? Why don't we just really focus on this building and then give later? But we came together and said, no, how can we do that? Let's give even more generously into the nations. Let's give even more generously to those who are hungry and starving and desperate to know Jesus. Let's be a blessing. Let's not get so distracted by our pleasures and, and a building of our own that we forget that the building is actually to be a blessing to the community. That the building is actually to be a base church, to, to host people into our building and welcome the community and be a blessing and to give even more generously. How can we say that, that we will give generously, but now I'm going to just stop being generous? We redoubled our efforts in giving, and we're encouraged by that Macedonian church. In, in 1 Kings chapter 17, we see another example of that. In another widow with Elijah. You see, Elijah heard from God and heard from God that to go into this, this town and to find um, this certain widow. And that widow had a son. And she had just enough flour and just enough oil to make one cake. And it was during a time of great famine. And we read in 1 Kings that she was going to take that one cake and they were going to eat it and then they were going to plan to die. Because she didn't have anything else. There was a famine and this was all of the food that she had left. Both her and her son were just going to die of hunger and starvation. And in that time, Elijah came, came to her at the prompting of God and said, please, can you give me some water? And she said, surely, and got him some water. And then he said, please, can you make a cake for me of wheat and oil? She only had enough for one cake. And she did, but she didn't tell Elijah, sir, this is going to be our last meal. This is going to be the last cake I have for my son and my, myself. She didn't say any of that. All she did was she went, she took all that she had, and she made a cake for the man of God. She felt that by giving freely to the man of God, she was giving freely to God. But the wheat didn't run out. It continued. They had enough for days until it rained again. Isn't that what God did for all of us? Didn't he? <clears throat> Did he do anything less when he sent his son to us? Did he do anything less when he left heaven to come to earth, to be born as a frail, 
boy to be running for his life from Herod, to be called a bastard child by the people who didn't understand what the virgin birth was, to be ridiculed, to be insulted, to be a man of sorrows as one that people would hide their face from, to be called a glutton and a drunkard by the religious establishment, and then to be persecuted and died. For us. See, we are the men and women of God. And God freely gave everything. He gave it all. Just for you, just for me. It's easy to lose sight of that. To lose sight of all that we have in Christ. To think that our struggles are something that God can't fulfill, that God can't fill us in that time. But he can do all things. See, when he fed the, the, the 15,000, it didn't say that they had just enough, that all of them had one bite. It said they all ate their fill and they had 12 baskets overflowing. Our God is a God of abundance and he can freely give to all of us if we're willing to freely receive. But sometimes we can be so worried about greed, we can so be so worried about thinking about ourselves or thinking about our own pleasure that we can be filled with a religious spirit, right? A feeling of religiosity and rule is that, God, I can't receive from you because I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to think of myself. I, I, I just, I give it to somebody else. We can be afraid to receive. But God says, Freely receive so you can freely give. See, I've, I've, I've struggled with this. See, fear and faith are similar, actually. They're both a feeling that you have when something hasn't happened. See, fear is the, sh- the assurance that something that hasn't happened is going to be bad. You're afraid. It hasn't happened yet, but you're sure that it's going to be bad. But faith, as we hear in Hebrews 11.1, 1, is the assurance that what you, what, what's going to happen is going to be something you're hoping for, something good. They're two sides of the same coin. Another way of thinking about it is fear is just faith in the wrong kingdom. That we actually think the kingdom of darkness is stronger than the kingdom of light. Fear is faith in the wrong kingdom. If we think that the kingdom of darkness is stronger than the kingdom of light, then we, the fear will reign us and undermine our faith in who God is, his generosity, that he has overcome. Now, that's easy to say, but sometimes hard to do. So over the last few weeks, I've actually been really struggling with this. This is going to sound silly, okay, but, but bear with me. So I was, I was trying to buy a new car, okay, and... I drive about two and a half hours to, to work and back every day. And I've, I've seen three physicians that I know who died in car accidents for a variety of reasons. Young, young physicians. And I saw the, the hurt and pain of that. And Sheila and I, Sheila was, was like, Matt, you know, I really want you to buy a nice car that's going to be a little safer. And I really struggled with it because I was like, no, you know, Sheila, I don't want to be greedy. I don't want to just think about myself. What about the nations and what about other people? I want, to, I want to take that money and give to the other people. And she was like, that's great. God, our God is a God of abundance. And I was like, yeah, I know, but he's given me this to steward this. And, 
And I was actually afraid to do it. I was like feeling guilty. And it wasn't a guilt that God put on me. It was a guilt that I put on myself. I said, gosh, if I buy a nice car and then go and talk about, do a sermon on finances, what kind of hypocrite am I? And then I sat there and I prayed and God said, where did you even get this thinking from? Why are you so afraid to receive from me? It's like, how are you being hypocritical? I freely give and freely give. And so I, I, I bought the car and I was, I was going to get it a certain day. And every day, up until the day of the car, I was just going to cancel it. I was like, no, I can cancel it right now. And I was like, I, I can do it. I, what if I take that same amount of money, I can do this. And Sheila had to keep talking me down the ledge. He's like, why do you have this like, poverty mindset? You know, God can give you more. It's okay. And as I got the car, I had had some investments that, that I did of my own strength, and I spent hours on, and they didn't get me anywhere. For 18 months, they, they netted me exactly zero dollars. And I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to do this. And so I, I just, I bought the car. The very next day, those same investments that for 18 months did nothing, just like blew up and generated more than the value of the car. More than the amount of the car. And I had just gone to God and said, God, I'm so sorry for not taking that money and, and giving it to you. But if I did have the money, I would give to your kingdom. And the very next day, he said, I'm not going to give you just enough for the car. I'm going to give you even more. Our God is a God of abundance. It's okay to have faith in that same God who abundantly and freely gives to us. If he didn't spare his own son, why do you think he's going to nickel and dime you? But then, with that faith, with that incredible humility of seeing God care about something as silly in my mind as a car, that God didn't think that was silly. I'm excited. I'm filled with excitement to take that and say, how can I freely sow? How can I freely give? How can I be a blessing? How can I now freely give as I just freely received? See, the psalmist in Psalm 50 says that he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Why do we, we don't need to put God in our box. We can have an expanded view of God. And as I was preparing for the sermon, I felt that today was being to be a day where we can be free from that. You see, I'm not here with a prescription for how we should now live, but I am here to say we can be free. You see, I think that greed and that thinking about ourselves and, and that thinking about our pleasures has been actually a weight that, that we've been carrying. And we can be free from that today. We don't have to wait till tomorrow. That today, the Spirit of God can move and free us of those things. In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, I don't come to you with wise or persuasive words, but I come with a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And that same Spirit is here today. That exact same Holy Spirit is here today. So I'm going to ask that if you wrestle with any of those things, a feeling that money is, is just kind of distracted you, or just thinking about yourself, or, or just thinking about your own pleasures, and it, it, it's impeded you from giving, I would say, please stand with me today right here, and I would love to pray for you and pray with you. And then I would also like to ask that if anyone struggles with fear of receiving, with a poverty mindset of saying, gosh, not me, give it to somebody else, and struggles to receive fully so that you can then bless, 
and are afraid to do that, then I would ask that you stand as well. You see, in Luke 19, Jesus says the parable of the minus. And he says he gave ten servants, each one minus. And one of them took that one and made ten. And he said, I've now put you in charge of ten cities. This faithfulness in finances, it's about so much more than money. He's going to put us in charge of so much more. But the, the one who was afraid and fearful buried that minus. And God rebuked that person for his fear. And said, what does that say about me? Your view of me that you're so afraid to be bold and full of faith. What does it say about how you view me that you're so full of fear? And he took that and he gave it to the person of ten. If you've been wrestling with fear, worries and anxieties, I would ask that you stand also today. And then I would also ask that if anyone here hasn't put their faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, hasn't received that greatest gift that God has ever given, if you want to receive that gift today, I would ask that you stand. Stand today to receive that greater gift than anything else. And I'd love to pray with you too. Dear Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you've given us all things. Every good and perfect thing we have comes from you. Everything. That from you and through you and to you are all things. That if it was just up to the other kingdom, we would have nothing. There would only be death and destruction. The enemy comes only to kill, steal, and destroy. But because of you, we have life and we have it abundantly. Abundantly and overflowing. And I ask that by your Holy Spirit, that you would free us, Lord, where we have all gone astray. That you say in your Bible that not one is, is, is followed the path of righteousness. That not one in all of history, not one except for Jesus. That where we've all gone astray and struggled with distractions of money, with greed, or loving ourselves, or struggling with pleasure as opposed to giving sacrificially, Lord, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, given to us by the sacrifice of Jesus, that you would free us from those burdens, that those burdens would fall off our shoulders, that we would be free. We're not proclaiming a religion. We're not proclaiming rules and orders and, and things to put on people, but we're proclaiming the freedom that only your Spirit can bring. And I pray that in the name of Jesus that we would be free, free to fully give, to give generously, to give over and above, to give with open hands, give with meekness, and give even when it hurts. That gift of generosity that comes from you. And Lord, where there has been fear, where fear has reigned, where there's been anxieties and worries about the future, the things that haven't happened yet, that we're convinced that they will be bad things, we ask that you'd break that hold over our lives, that you'd break that hold over our minds, our hearts, our bodies, Lord, that you'd break those chains as only you can do by the blood of the Lamb and the power of your Holy Spirit, that those chains would break and that we would be free to fully receive, that we would receive from the abundant God that generously gives all things and didn't even spare his own son, that you can generously give even finances, finances and health and well-being for those who are sick in our mix to receive your healing touch, that you are the God who heals all our diseases. We thank you, Lord, and please help us to receive that healing. 
to get out of our own minds, Lord, where we're thinking that maybe not me, maybe not this time, maybe not this place, Lord, that we would lay all of that aside and just look up to you and see our God high and lifted up and would freely receive all that you have to give us in the name of Jesus, our King, our God, and our Father. Amen. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.